You're listening to Grace Saves All, the podcast which exists at the spiritual intersection of Christianity and universal salvation. In this podcast, we will be exploring an ancient and modern approach to Christianity, which affirms both that grace saves alone and that grace goes to all. And now, here is David Artman, author of Grace Saves All, The Necessity of Christian Universalism. Nick Hughes from the recent episode about his experience on the mission field and Kaylee Hughes, his wife, talk with us today as a married couple about their experience of going through deconstruction together. They grew up in a conservative evangelical environment, went to the mission field together, and have since been going through deconstruction and reconstruction together. So welcome Nick and Kaylee Hughes to the Grace Saves All podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having us. Thanks, David. Happy to be here today. Well, uh, last time, uh, Nick, we spent a lot of time on your what your experience was like growing up. And so uh, what, what I'd like to start out this time is to kind of get a little more background with Kaylee and what her, what her experiences was like uh, growing up. And then we will work forward to the Hallmark movie moment where she <laughs> sees you for the first time and falls and and falls in love with you on the spot. Does that sound fair? <laughs> sure. To set the record straight on this on this call, right, David? Right. Of course. Uh, yeah. Of course. We realize it didn't play out exactly like a Hallmark movie, but you all are still together and uh, seem to be doing well. So uh, let's just go ahead and start out. Tell me a little bit about your your formative years, Kaylee. Sure. Um, try to keep it concise. You know, you can talk about your childhood forever, but I grew up, as you said, in a conservative church, just like Nick in the, at church, anytime the doors were open, kind of a thing. And I really loved it. I had a good, had a good childhood, had good mentors in the church. Um, I, I think the main wrestling for me came from just wanting to live a normal life. But I also, the the idea of the afterlife was really heavy for me as a kid. It wasn't like I was in a church that was preaching hell all the time. Um, but it, it was part of our beliefs and I believed it was real, you know, a hell where people are burning in an eternal fire and all that. Um, so it was really strange for me as a child to, to hear about that, to read about that. And then, to know that that's a reality and know that a lot of my friends were maybe going to go there. But then most of our days were spent like any other family. You know, we were just a normal family and we did fun things together. And so it was really, it was just a strange tug of war internally for me. It caused me just kind of like a constant low level anxiety, if that makes sense. Just knowing Mm -hmm. this underlying, like I have this truth in me that I'm supposed to be sharing with everyone I know. And yet all I really want to do is, you know, play around in the backyard and listen to music and play video games and swim. And I didn't really want to even be thinking about that stuff. But sort of like the message was, if you were, if you really believe, then you'll be sharing this with, you mm-hmm. know, any opportunity you can get. Was there, a, when you were growing up, was there, when you were really, you know, like a child, let's say around 10 years old, let's say, was there a question about whether or not you were saved or did you feel like you needed yeah. to get saved? Right. Good question. I, mem- I remember getting saved, quote unquote, whatever that means, as a really young child, just sort of out of kind of a fear thing, you know, fear of hell. And then 
but for sure, I mean, I, I went through a long season, probably around that age where I doubted my salvation. It had to do with, I experienced some sexual abuse as a kid and that really carried I, I carried a lot of shame from that all through my young years and through my teenage years. And that alone made me feel like I, maybe I wasn't saved. And then the addition of, you know, not really wanting to share this message with people <laughs> also mm-hmm. made me feel like maybe I'm not really a Christian because I just don't have any interest in talking about hell with people. I'm afraid of talking about it. Not even just hell. I didn't even like talking about Jesus to people. It was just uncomfortable and weird to me. And I was in public school and I just wanted to fit in, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I I don't know if you know anything about the Enneagram, but I'm an Enneagram 9, which is the peacemaker. And I just, I'm very much that. I have no interest in rocking anyone's boat, you know. So as a kid, that was really difficult for me. Yeah, I'm for sure led to that question of, oh, well, I'm, Am I really a Christian? Do I really have the Holy Spirit if I don't have this zeal to share about um, hell all the time? Now, in the notes that you all sent me, there's a a story about you sharing the gospel at <laughs> age 11. Tell us that story. Yeah, yeah that um, <laughs> that's like the clearest memory I have of ever like really sharing the gospel as a young person, the gospel, quote unquote. <laughs> and it was my friend and I sitting outside on our porch swing in the backyard. And I don't even know how it came up, but I ended up talking about, you know, if you don't believe in Jesus, then you'll be in hell eternally. And she was, she had all these counterpoints and she was like, I don't know. I don't think that's really true. And what about this? And what about that? And and in the end, like my final point was basically like, okay, well, if, if I'm wrong, then we all just die and don't exist anymore and we're fine. But if you're wrong then you'll be burning in hell forever. (laughs) And she was like, oh, huh. (laughs) And I was like, so don't you want to be safe rather than sorry? And that pretty much sums up how I viewed hell. Just, you know, it was really about fear and avoiding, um, avoiding those things I was afraid of. It wasn't really about the joy of Christ necessarily. Although I had some of those experiences as a kid too, but um, you know, Primarily, the motivation was that fear. So then you go into your teen years, and uh, in the notes you sent, you said you had some um, cognitive dissonance and wrestling, but there were some glimmers of hope in God's goodness and some youth leaders that were helpful to you. So mm-hmm. could you tell us about that? Sure, yeah. I, I definitely, I think since I was really young, I've always the question that's always kind of in the very back of my mind that I've had to bury a lot was, um, is, is it really possible that I was just lucky enough to be born into the right country, into the right state and family where I happen to be born in the only right religion and probably the only right, uh, denomination of my religion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just, I just always bothered me. So that was, I've, I've chewed on that my whole life. Um, just the statistics of that, just not really making sense and wondering like, Oh, I wonder if I'm wrong. Like there's so many people in the world who have so many different experiences for me and they believe they're right too. Um, so I definitely wrestled with that and, and through high school and into early college years, I remember I had a, yeah, my youth pastor was really incredible. He was really one of the first people who 
opened my eyes to realizing like, oh, maybe we don't have it all figured out. We would study. He was just really into history. Um, and he would bring in a lot of historical contexts as far as different theologies and when they were developed. And um, that really blew my mind. I mean, I remember I remember learning that the, 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 the idea of the rapture wasn't even around until like the 1800s. And I was like, what? That, I thought that was, that's what those words meant in the Bible, you know? But, you mm-hmm. know, it's only a couple hundred years old. That was so weird to me. And uh, there's another reading I remember where he was like, you know, some people think this means this. Some people think this means this. And we were kind of like, okay, which one's right? And he was like, oh, you know, he shrugged a lot in class. Like, I don't know, maybe the Catholics have it right. And I was just like, what? (laughs) You know? (laughs) My mind was blown. So, well, that doesn't to me. That doesn't sound like, even though I said you were raised in a conservative evangelical environment. I mean that that to me sounds a little more open to yeah, I think that's the idea that unique. yeah that we have our beliefs, but you should think about these things and you should be aware of other points of view, and maybe some of these other points of view have something to them. Yeah. So it didn't. It doesn't sound like it's. Uh, as it doesn't sound like it, you know, like you just had one thing that you, you were allowed to think and you couldn't question anything or think about anything on your own. Right. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I, there's definitely a level of openness um, maybe that others didn't get um, in their, in their like formative Christian experience as a kid. I do think it was still limited in, um, you know, how far those questions could go sort of an expectation all through my life within the within the church that your questions can go to about here, you know, this little circle. Um, we have this sense of feeling like we have some freedom there, but there are some really hard lines too, for sure. Yeah. So there yeah. you are, you're at church, you're working through things, you're minding your own business, and you notice this guy in the corner of the room staring at you. <laughs> 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 what is that guy about? You're reading your left behind books and all of a sudden <laughs> you, you look up and you think, man, I'm glad the rapture hasn't happened yet. <laughs> uh, so anyway, then uh, then uh, somehow the two of you get go on a uh, mission trip together down mm-hmm. to South America. Yeah, we... Uh... We're dying to hear... <laughs> Your version of the story, because David and I talked about my version on, on the last episode, and so you got to set the record straight, right? Well, I no, think I, Nick, I think Nick and I are uh, we know what it's like to sort of be drawn to somebody and be desperately trying to be cool about it. Applied <laughs> <laughs> of all men from the beginning of time, right? Yeah. yeah, I certainly didn't make it easy either. I was for sure an ice queen. I Hey, there you go. It's been confirmed. <laughs> I had this impression, you know, from my, I just had this vision of a Christian knight in shining armor coming and doing all the pursuing and sweeping me off my feet yeah. and all of that. So I was just waiting. I was interested in him for sure. I always thought he was really cute, red hair and everything. And, uh, but it, uh, didn't happen for a while because I think he thought I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember okay, the so- time when I came up to you on a Wednesday night at church? So I was big into like street ministry and homeless uh, ministry. And 
as you said, David, I was square in that mode of trying to impress and trying to like show Kaylee what I was all about. You remember that? I came up to you one Wednesday night and I was like, uh, hey, so a few of us and the guys are going to go downtown and do some ministry for Jesus. You want you want to come? <laughs> and I kid you not, there was no response for like a solid 10 seconds. And then she was just like, no, I'm good. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, wow, usually that works, you know, but uh, I think I've got my work cut out for me. <laughs> well, this is just just listening to the two of you. That kind of goes to Kaylee is not really the confrontational. Type. Yeah. So the idea that you were going to go out and just like be going up to these, you know, random people and <laughs> doing this. Life. Yeah. 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 Uh, but uh, but the idea of maybe going on a trip and doing some mission work and where you're doing like some humanitarian assistance, mm -hmm. um, that that would be more your maybe way of doing things. Kaylee, how can yeah. I mean, you're in nursing. How can mm -hmm. I, through humanitarian assistance, at least try to demonstrate God's love to you. And then maybe, in, you know, in that environment, if something, a conversation gets started, you could at least share why you were wanting to do the humanitarian work or what it meant to you. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so you all went down to uh, South America together for, mm -hmm. uh, and, and you were doing some humanitarian aid and kind of work in, there was a how did that bit work of that. out? Yeah. I was in nursing school at the time. I didn't have any kind of medical background yet. So um, we we did a little bit of that. There was a nurse on our team, but primarily it was like vacation Bible school style. Uh, okay. And I've always loved, enjoyed working with children. And um, yeah, it was really a fun, it was a really fun trip for sure. Okay. So uh, there you are and you're having fun at vacation, kind of a vacation Bible school in, um, in South America and mm -hmm. it's beautiful and tropical and um, and it was uh, after that after you got home from that trip that uh, you all kind of got together and so now take me from the beautiful tropical setting of a vacation putting on vacation Bible schools um, <laughs> in paradise to uh -huh. uh, Central Africa in a Muslim um, mm. Muslim village of 15,000 people outside of the capital mm. uh, where you're in a completely different, where you're in a completely different world. How do you get from yeah. there? How do you get from, <laughs> from those, from the, from the one place to the other? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. <laughs> it's kind of funny when you put those two side by side. Uh, You'd be a great missions recruiter, by the way, David. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've I've always just been a very naturally fearful person, and I've never liked that about myself. And so I think part of my journey has been just trying to overcome fear uh, because I and I still don't want to make decisions in my life based on fear. So there were a lot of things about the mission field that were scary to me, but um, I, I believed and still believe God used a lot of those circumstances to kind of dig out some of those fears and grow me stronger. So the process of getting there, um, I don't know if you want to share anything, but it was, it was a long journey 
we both knew before we got married that we were both interested in long-term sort of living on the ground with the people kind of mission work. Um, in my mind, it would always have included uh, a medical aspect to it as a nurse. It's definitely where I'm more drawn to. And Nick is just very gifted with people. So I figured I'd be the nurse and he'd be the evangelist and we'd just, you know, conquer the world. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I did not want to work with Muslims, honestly. Uh, that was sort of the last thing I wanted to do. I remember in my prayers multiple multiple times saying, wherever we go, God, I just don't want to work with Muslims. You know, that was scary to me. I was really ignorant. And uh, uh, so, of course, that's where we ended up feeling like <laughs> where the needs were. <laughs> when you look at the numbers and you believe that they're all going to hell, then it's really staggering how many Muslims there are in the world. So that was really a big motivator for us, just where the where the biggest needs were. Um, and we got hooked up with our organization, which only serves in Africa. So that kind of narrowed it down for us. And yeah, you want to share anything? Yeah, I, I think that was, uh, again, I, I definitely think God led us to that point. Um, but for Kaylee and I both, there was a strong element of, as she just described, there was pragmatically, you know, just a huge need, right? I mean, I could give you some of the stats, um, but, you know, most folks listening to this, and David, you yourself know, you know, from the evangelical side of things, the UPG numbers are really often put out there, you know, and it's it's important. I think, um, again, folks need to be uh, introduced, I believe, to Jesus, um, I think it's an important thing, but uh, for Kaylee, I mean, for you, that was, it kind of gets into our next point about um, when we got on the ground, you know, and we really started to experience the quote unquote lostness and really just the, uh, just how pervasive the Islamic culture was, and especially for Kaylee among, among the women, um, that was a really hard, hard time um, for many different reasons. You could probably share why. Well, know, the UPG, UPG, UPG means unreached people groups. Yes. And, yeah. and so these are people in the world who have probably never heard uh, a presentation about Jesus, yeah, which that's a- is kind of hard for um, some folks to imagine. Like, well, how could you not know right. that yeah. story? Especially for us coming from the Midwest, you know, and our neck of the woods in Missouri, where we were sent out from. I mean, there's a church on every other corner, right? A Chinese right. restaurant, church, and a bank on every other corner. You yeah. know, and so it's it's just like you said, it's hard to conceptualize or to fathom that. Right. But, okay, so, so so there you are then, and you're in. I guess Kaylee, what was it like for you to be? going into this um, and interacting with folks who, you know, for whom Jesus is completely off of their radar screen and according to their traditions and their life and their way of being, um, uh, accepting him as their Lord and Savior would have been a giant, enormous sort of leap for them. Mm -hmm. Um, How did that how did that affect you or what kind of thoughts did that bring up for you? Sure. 
I mean, at, at the beginning, uh, I feel like we sort of, at least I felt like I had an out because I didn't speak the language yet. We spent months and months and months just learning the language. So I, I just felt like, okay, I'm going to do what I actually really enjoy, which is getting immersed in this culture, learning about their foods, learning about how they live and that sort of a thing. And that was really fun. But then, yeah, the, uh, when it came to starting to share the gospel, I just, I felt like we were facing an impossible task. Uh, it, and it didn't really sink in until we sort of left the context, um, a couple of different times that we had to had to leave because when you're in the middle of it, you're just running a sprint. I mean, I wasn't really thinking that much about it while we were doing it. I was just trying to do it, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was causing a lot of anxiety for me that was just being suppressed. And I, I worked really hard through faith practices to try to solve that anxiety. Um, and it truly just, was very insidious and grew over time for me over that whole season. Um, it was more obvious at times than others. And toward the end of our time there, it was almost just breaking me completely. Um, the, the main, the main thing I struggled with was, uh, I just felt like I was asking something of these women that was completely impossible for them. Um, they, especially the women are, don't have rights to their own children. They don't have rights to property. They don't have education. Um, they're one of multiple wives, their property essentially. And so for me to ask them to convert to my religion, uh, was like asking them to literally sacrifice their life, sacrifice any kind of, any kind of comfort, um, any kind of security to sacrifice their children, their children would quickly be taken from them by their husband and they would be left destitute. Their parents would abandon them. They would have nothing. So without offering them a totally new life situation, taking them out of this country or out of this city and moving them to a new place where they had a new, you know, without meeting all of their needs for them physically, that was just an impossible ask. And, um, I just found myself really struggling to make that ask of them and feeling like this feels wrong. You know, I just, I really, really, really wrestled with that. Uh, as someone who loves my children, would do anything for them, loves security and comfort and have never had to have that really threatened. Um, and yeah, just to ask them to give all of that up felt wrong. And then in, in the middle of, of that experience, the place where you were experienced some political unrest mm -hmm. and there was, um, there were a lot of, there was a lot of police activity on the street and men with uh, machine guns standing around at regular, you know, at regular places. And there was one mm -hmm. point at which um, they became suspicious of you and you were just like out doing some shopping or something and they became suspicious of you and you're, um, and you were with your child and. Yeah. Yeah. That's nearly accurate. There wasn't, it wasn't like a suspicion type of a thing. They, I wasn't targeted because we were Christians or anything like that. It was just a random um, 
miscommunication at a random traffic stop, basically. And unfortunately, it's very common, especially for women there. Violence is just very common. So it was it was not a strange thing for them. It was unusual for them to hit, hit a white person, but I I believe they don't think I didn't I don't think that they knew I was white at the time I was covered. Um, so that yeah so yeah that happened. It was the most traumatic thing I've ever experienced for sure. Um, thought I was going to be killed. Thought my baby son was going to be killed. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's so strange to be sitting here in America and be telling that story. It just feels surreal that that actually happened, but it did. And, um, it unfortunately happens a lot there with, okay, so with local women, not, local not women, expats, yeah. you know, not expatriates. <clears throat> so it's, it's, it's then after this unrest and de- and uh, unstable situation that you get pulled back to France um, and that that's when I guess some really kind of serious uh, theological conversations uh, start getting going between you and and Nick. Nick has um, kind of launched off into um, investigating universal reconciliation as a possible way of solving his theological dilemma. Uh, but you're um, investigating uh, apostasy uh, for, for my evangelical friends. They're listening, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Sorry to cut you off. <laughs> well, okay. So it, it sort of, if I just think about this story so that Nick is jumping from, you know, being, uh, you know, super convinced one way, into now being sort of super convinced in another way that would seem uh, sketchy maybe at best to uh, some of the people that you'd been around before. I know even though your youth minister had said, well, there's different ways of thinking about this, that probably universal reconciliation probably wasn't one of the ones that he would have been (laughs) talking about. Um, So what was that like um, for Nick to be all of a sudden exploring and becoming pretty persuaded about this other theological point of view and then then where you were at the time uh yeah i had um i had definitely seen him work through similar things before and had learned to just put up guardrails in my brain to not worry too much about it because he always seemed to come back around you know but um i i And I also, at this state, because I had spent many months in therapy, just healing my brain from the trauma, and um, I was feeling a lot more emotionally stable, but spiritually, I was very fragile, and I recognized that. Um, I just felt like my faith was teetering on falling apart, and I needed to protect it. And so I had a lot of walls up, honestly. I, I had just learned to kind of be a a listening ear without really taking much information in just kind of being like, uh-huh, how does that make you feel? And what do you think about that? And mm-hmm. but not really thinking it, taking it very seriously. Um, until, uh, it's hard to even know what broke for me, but I just feel like I was holding my faith together so much with my own hands and with, uh, it was really propped up by other people's faith and uh, my, you know, my friends back home, my pastor and his wife, and my mentors, my family, Nick, John Piper, you know, all of the, 
all of the things trying to hold it together. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's one thing I've thought about as we've sort of processed this journey is I, I always assumed people stepped into deconstruction because it was a choice that they made. But for me, it felt a lot less like a choice and more like it happened. You know, it just, one day it just happened. It just crumbled. Um, so it was in the middle of Nick's wrestling, but I, I feel like it was kind of just random timing that we both happened to fall apart at the same time. Uh, it wasn't necessarily anything he said at the time that affected me too deeply. I wasn't really taking him that seriously. I was struggling (laughs) with my own stuff and I don't know, maybe his wrestling allowed me to feel like it was okay to wrestle too. Um, maybe that's what it was, but yeah, at, at the time we kind of, he fell into something different and I just, fell to pieces really. Okay. So, so Nick, uh, it, oh, so if I'm imagining this story, it's, it's almost like, Hey hon, um, I think I might believe in universal reconciliation. And then your wife says, that's interesting. I don't know if I believe anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's, man, you couldn't have said it better, David. Wow. I think that like needs to be the title of a book. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. So you just needed to me. I mean, to me, what I'm hearing is you just needed to set it down for a while and and give yourself some space. And then but Nick needed to he he didn't want to do that. He wanted to, um, you know, find this uh, another way of putting it together or see if there was another way of 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 putting it together. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I good. Yeah, I mean, we've learned through our marriage we process things really differently. And um, Nick has always been—he uh, has to be fully in whatever he's doing. So um, his version of processing all of this has been to step really hard into this camp of you are and just dig deep in it and explore it. And um, I'm much more of a internal processor. And so I don't really make decisions until I've thought everything through. Um, so nothing comes out of my mouth that I've, that I don't have some kind of certainty about that I haven't already thought about for weeks or months. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think that's part of it. Yeah. And, and for sure I've, I let go of a lot more than Nick, um, especially around Jesus. I've all through my time in, in Africa and, um, and since have really wrestled with the person of Jesus. France, um, for sure. Yeah, in France, definitely. And so that was that was really shocking for Nick, I think. Uh, what were some of the things that you found uh, troubling about Jesus? I, in my time in Africa, I started, I was reading through the Gospels um, uh, chronologically, and I I think being immersed in that culture, I just, I'm like I said, an Enneagram nine. So I just, it's easy for me to see things the way other people see them to step into people's shoes. And I think reading those passages um, through the eyes of maybe a Muslim woman or something like that, um, or just an outsider, I was sort of, it felt like I was reading it for the first time. Um, 
as someone who might scrutinize it, you know, and I started seeing things that just left a really bad taste in my mouth about Jesus, different, different things he said that sounded very uh, fear-based and inflammatory uh, things like um, he, he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10 37. I wrote a few out. Um, uh, anyone who gives up houses, family, children, land, name for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit everlasting life. You know, the verse is about setting father against son and mother against daughter. Um, fear him, which is able to destroy the, both the body and the soul in hell. You know, things that sounded to me like if I was reading this with no context as an outsider, I would think this is a cult leader trying to convince me to join their cult. And I just, it really bothered me. Like I, I was thinking, this is what I'm offering these women. And if I read this to them, how could I, you know, how could I convince them that this is someone that loves them and isn't trying to scare them with this idea of, um, you know, with, with a, about eternity, you know? So that, that was kind of the basis for it. There's a lot more to it than that, but that's kind of the, the background there. And I started to unravel everything I thought about Jesus and read his words in a new light. And I think that so, was really... So when it, when it came to the, uh, I guess, to the passages where Jesus was really in, um, in conflict with his own cultural setting mm -hmm. and what was going on there, then when you were reading that in the cultural setting that you were in, you just couldn't imagine like, okay, well, how do I ever try to, first of all, how do I understand why he would have said yeah. things like yeah. that? And then how can I possibly uh, explain what that might mean to uh, right. a Muslim person and exactly. what, what implications uh, that might have? And then right. Nick, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say it felt too similar to what I was hearing them share about things that I didn't like that Muhammad said. And they would be like, well, but he didn't mean it like that. It was it's like this and then and then trying to explain it. And I'm like, well, it's right there. That's what he said, you know. So it just felt too similar. It felt like, am I just falling into the same traps that I see them falling into just believing something because they were taught it? And, um, you know, really, this guy's no good kind of a thing. So. Okay, and then Nick, in the notes that you that you sent along, you said at this time too, you were fed up with what you call the diabolical trinity. What did you What do you mean about that? Yeah, so there's a there's a book by um, oh man, what's his name? Mark Gregory Karras. David, I don't know if you're familiar with his work. Yeah, um, I've read but, that. I've read that book. Okay, yeah. So uh, I I was kind of. I had just recently been reading some of that. And so that's why I put this in the notes, but yeah, it kind of ties back into, um, again, eschatology doctrine of hell. You know, I'm, I'm just a firm believer that what you believe in that realm really helps you. Uh, it really is interrelated with what you believe about God's nature and who man is right. Who he, how he views man. And so the diabolical Trinity would be um, a wrathful God and eternal conscious torment type of hell and then a, a deeply wicked, irredeemable uh, human nature, right? 
and so I, that's all I meant by that. It was just kind of, um, that's what I was wrestling with, of course, when I was contemplating uh, a different way of looking at, at God's cosmological plan, right? Surely this couldn't just end up in the opposite of what First Corinthians 15 says, right? It's not death that's swallowed up in victory. It's <laughs> death is swallowing up victory, right? And so I, that that's what I meant by that. I think with Kaylee's struggle, though, here's where the tension, tension and battles and emotions and, and all this came in is that I, I had wrestled through a lot of what she's wrestling through. Um, I came out at a different conclusion. Um, we don't have to get into all the apologetics of it as far as, you know, uh, what we need to think about Jesus, but she's coming to a different conclusion. And what was going on in France is that I deep down, a, I thought this could really turn out poorly for her own faith and her spiritual journey with God. Not, I wasn't trusting that God had a plan with this for her and still does. And then B, I was wrestling majorly with this pressure to get these things figured out so that we could move forward. And honestly, that was still my goal and desire was to move forward and get, get back to Central Africa. And so that's why when all of this stuff started coming out, on the one hand, I was proud of Kaylee for raising the flag and saying, I'm not okay anymore. I'm just going to come out and say what I've been thinking all along. I don't know if I believe this, you know, I was super proud of her and happy in, in certain ways. But then on the other hand, I was just, troubled, you know, for those reasons that I just listed. And so that's what started causing some tension and friction between us as we started wrestling with these things. So, okay. So it seems to me that there's sort of a similar question, which is, is there anything that's really and truly honestly loving? And can I find a real, true, honest love? Like, and I think in your notes, you even put something about your own children. Is there some kind of Mm. Does the love that God, if I have an understanding of where my love for my children is different than God's love for humanity, mm-hmm. then there's some kind of disconnect. Oh, yeah. Huge. There's some kind of disconnect there. Yeah. yeah that was really, that right there was a tipping point for me. I, I in France, I started listening to some podcasts and I don't, I don't remember who it was, but someone said, something about, uh, you know, I realized with my current theology, I was a better parent than God was. And how is that possible? And I was like, that put words to things that I've felt ever since I had kids. And I, I've never been able to really nail down those emotions, but that just, I mean, that totally nailed it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, again, some of this cognitive dissonance that I think we all engage in, you know, just as humans, you know, we, at a certain point, you know, our beliefs and and kind of the paradox or the contradictory nature of, of any two beliefs that we may hold in suspension at a certain point, it just, the cognitive, cognitive dissonance there just starts screaming at you, right? And um, some people have a way of denying it or, or um, rationalizing it or staying busy and, uh, um, you know, and it's not a big deal for them. And 
some just over time through circumstances or even big one-time events, they, they step back and say, this doesn't, I can't handle this anymore, right? Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, for some, the the answers to those questions really do satisfy them. Yeah. It just doesn't bother them as yeah. much. Um, but I, uh, yeah, it definitely, yeah, it was a huge challenge. Yeah. So, okay. So, so go ahead, David. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, so at this point in the story, it seems clear where the story goes next. And where the story goes next is you all say, hey, you know, I'm rethinking things. I'm rethinking universal restoration. And you're saying, and I'm, I'm ready to just kind of set the whole thing down for a while. So now the next part of the story is you go back home and you kind of, uh, you know, go to the next part of your life. Not that you go back home and then go back to Africa, back to the same, back to that same place. Not this so time. how did you? So how did you get from France back to the United States, and then back to, and then back to Africa together, and then, as Nick tells me the story, you even went back and visited the same or drove by the same place where you'd had that random traffic stop, where you you know, which is the scariest point of your whole life. So mm. tell me, tell us, tell that story. Yeah, well, we got the timeline flipped around just a little bit. We actually did a revision trip back to Africa uh, before we went to France again. So, okay, um, so that happened prior to the major deconstruction. I um, can't keep up with our story either, David. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, we had we left Africa after the trauma, came back to the states for a season, and I did some intensive therapy. Okay. And then at the end of that season, we decided, well, let's give it another go, but let's go check it out one more time. See if I can handle it. Went back, did that, said, okay, let's go for it. And then we went to France. Uh, We knew heading to France gave us some more time to continue to heal and to continue processing some of the spiritual questions we had, because it would be in a comfortable living situation. We're just studying French. Um, and so, yeah, we definitely, we got there and had the space to really process some of this stuff a bit more. Um, but the leaving France was an extremely difficult uh, season. Yeah. Because it meant giving up our career and um, not just that, but publicly giving up our career because we were the missionaries of our church. So as you can imagine, there was just a lot, a lot that went into that decision. And I think... Part of what made it so difficult, this is just one aspect of what made it so difficult, was whether this perception of how I viewed the church viewing us as true or not. You know, Kaylee mentioned earlier on in this interview that, you know, sometimes this deconstruction, this wave of doubt and, and kind of tearing everything down, you know, it just happens, right? But I guarantee you the majority of our community doesn't view it that way. They view it as, okay, Nick and Kaylee went out and they were a little weak and then they got all alone on an island ride and and started scratching their itching ears and and listening to voices that were not edifying and helpful and going to get them back on the right track. And, you know, they started down that slippery slope and they just kept wanting more and more and, either that or they're trying to justify some kind of rebellion or sinful lifestyle, but that's just not true. Right. And so I think that's, that was the hard thing was to try to not only convey what it was that we were going through, which was very vulnerable and difficult because we're literally being paid 
as some of the top leaders in our church, most spiritually mature people in our church to go and do this. That was difficult. And then it was also difficult to, um, what was I going to say? It was just difficult to, to describe that process and then to admit that we, we were no longer in a place and, and difficult to, I think more than anything, even now it's difficult to accept the fact that we could never, we can't fully explain to people what's happening with us and, and feel like they, they get it right. And they affirm us and, and they, they totally understand and they condone it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we, we now have to live with like the reality that there's a large amount of folks in our community that are just sad for us. They're questioning whether we're going to make it in the end. Right. They are possibly passing judgment, you know, poor Nick and Kaylee, they've really just given in to the world and and the flesh. Right. And, and so that, that's, what's really challenging to, to not want to just constantly try to buck against that and, and to tell, you know, we just have to move on. Um, and that's, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. Okay. So where would you say you are kind of right now? It seems like you're, you're each, you know, you're, um, uh, Nick, you're, you're kind of enjoying, uh, continuing to think about the possibilities of the universal reconciliation, spirituality, and how that can be put together. And Kaylee, you're still kind of, um, in the, in the process of just, I don't know, being, is that fair? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely, I very intentionally, when we came back to the States, decided I need to put this all down and pick it up piece by piece, very slowly in my own time. Um, And I finally had the freedom to do that because when, you know, before it felt like it was all, you know, our whole lives were, um, we're on the line, really, it was kind of on our shoulders to get it all figured out so that we could continue what we were doing. Um, So yeah, being in this stage has been definitely ups and downs has been a roller coaster. There's a lot of loss that we've experienced. And um, like Nick was saying, primarily from that community, we we moved to a different town. Uh, We did that really intentionally. we moved to where my parents are, which has been a huge blessing and they've been very supportive. Um, but we've definitely lost a lot of friends just practically because we don't live in the same place. And because, um, yeah, because of our kind of newfound beliefs or I guess new lost beliefs for me. Yeah. And I'm trying Uh, to imagine, so, you know, so you're in a new, you're in a new place and you're meeting some people and uh, so they say, well, tell us about yourself. And, and you say, well, OK, so we were missionaries and we believed in, you know, sort of like people are going to hell unless they accept Jesus. And so now Nick, he believes that Jesus is going to save everybody. And I don't know what I believe. We're Nick and we're Nick and Kaylee. We, uh, one thing that's been interesting, it's taken us months and months and months to find a church that we both feel comfortable in. Um, and, uh, I was telling the, 
the pastor just this last week, cause he was asking, asking how we were doing. He's just now getting to know us. And I was saying, you know, I've, this is, I feel like I'm just cracking the door open again in some of these spiritual realms. Cause I'm just, you know, like a scared turtle coming out of their shell. There's been a yeah. lot of pain and I'm, I, I'm so, I feel like, um, I've learned through therapy, really good therapy that you're not really healing unless you feel safe. And, um, I think that's been really important in this process too. Like if you, if, if I, if I didn't have a safe person to talk to, then I, you know, I wouldn't be finding any, um, any healing in that area. Um, you can't really be vulnerable unless you feel safe. So, uh, that's been really important for us. And it hasn't always been with each other because sometimes it's been too emotionally charged to really be able to engage well um, in a moment. And so sometimes we have to put it down for a while and come back to it. Or sometimes we need to call a friend who is open and can hear what we're dealing with. And Well, that's all. Yeah, what Jaylee's really saying is that Go ahead. Nick gets, I get a little too... <laughs> fired up and uh, <laughs> excitable about things. And that that's just, it's different processing styles, right? And personality. And so that's just with any conflict in marriage, but certainly, you know, our marriage was really founded on, in a lot of ways, some of these things that Kaylee's now walked away from and, and that I have as well. I mean, it's ultimately, like you said, David, it's founded on love, God's love. And, and that's what we're trying to discover. What does that look like? What is that? What is that really? You know, what does it mean? How has it been manifested to, to the cosmos? And, and so, but yeah, it, you're, it, it's so true. When, whenever we go to these new churches or, or, you know, find these new friends, it's like, okay, Let's uh, just start with the basics. <laughs> We're Nick and Kaylee. Uh, we've been overseas for a while. If you want to know anything else, grab a beer and let's talk for a few hours. <laughs> Hold on tight. You know, but we, that's what's helpful about your podcast and even just our interview is I was able to send that off to the pastor that of this church that we've been going to. And he listened to it. And just yesterday at church, he's like, whoa, dude, we got to get together. I finished that podcast and holy moly, you know, <laughs> I mean, we've only known each other for a few weeks and that's not right. enough time to really talk about. Some well, that makes things. me feel good because uh, one of the reasons I like to do the, the podcast is that sometimes the interview that I do with people is helpful for them in their own personal life because you can say, listen, yeah. I got a, I got a lot going on. Yeah. And I mean, I can either tell you the whole story. Or, you know, you can listen to this podcast if you want to, this yeah. interview, and that kind of lays it all out so then they can. Yeah, it's helpful. It. Right. He said it took, you know, 10 days, but he finally got through it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the I things was, that was yeah. interesting for me in my own uh, journey was um, we had some folks in our church that had gone through um, um, a re recovery in AA. Mm. And towards towards the end of my ministry, um, I don't know, church, church can get, let's just say church can become very unmanageable and you can have issues mm -hmm. that develop and controversies that develop in the church. And I was getting to a point where I had a Friday off and then Saturday off and then Sunday. And so I was starting to look forward to Thursday at five o'clock and I'd go home and have a few beers and just try to make it all go away. And 
I realized I was getting in a, in a pattern of this and mm-hmm. I wasn't just having a few beers. I would say, mm-hmm. okay, well, I'm going to have a few beers and then it would be like 630. Well, mm-hmm. maybe I'll have a few more beers. So I never had more than a few beers, but if you stack that on top of each other, you know, yeah. and I realized, I realized I was getting into a pattern. And, uh, so anyway, I decided that, so I didn't, I don't so I don't think I'm, I said, I don't think I'm an alcoholic. And uh, then the next thing I said to myself was, well, if you're not an alcoholic, well, just stop drinking. So I thought, oh, okay. So I, I just said, okay, well, I won't do alcohol anymore. And, uh, and then around that time, there were some people that were in the church that had gone through AA. And, uh, so we decided that we would do, um, Richard Rohr's book, Breathing Underwater. And it's mm. about Christian spirituality and, and recovery. And so we ended up with a, a group in our church that we called Being Human. Because one of the guys in the group said, you know, AA isn't about being an alcoholic. It's about being human. Mm. So we, we started this little group called Being Human. And so uh, it wasn't whether the admission into the group, or if you wanted to come and be a part of us, wasn't about whether you're an alcoholic or not. It was whether you were a human or not. Because mm-hmm. humans all deal with some level of unmanageability, and we all need yeah. we all need help, we all need community, and we all need to have a God of our understanding that can help us deal with the unmanageability that we can't deal with ourselves. Yeah. So that yeah, was kind of the good. basic that was kind of the basic idea, and the more we talked about giving each other the permission to have the God of our understanding. And we, we was already doing this in a church where we were giving people, we didn't have creedal statements as test of fellowship. So everybody was kind of encouraged to develop your own best understanding of God. But it was during that time that, that I really started to think about, well, who is the God of my, you know, the God of my understanding? Who is, who is that? Mm. And how can that be an expression of true and utter love? Um, yeah. Perfect. Like, is there a way I can have a God of parental, perfect parental love and make a theology around that and still stay within the Christian, you know, the Christian history, the Christian um, tradition. But mm-hmm. I, I not only needed to give um, other people the permission to have the God of their understanding, I needed to give myself the permission to have the God of my understanding. And it, it, it's, that's okay. The God of your understanding is different than mine. Uh, that's okay. But this is just the, um, the way that I have, the way that I've come to see it. And I just like talking about it and sharing with other people. If it's helpful for them, then it's helpful. Uh, but if it's not what they're needing at that moment, then, you know, yeah, that's okay. That's okay too. But just creating spaces where people can have the freedom to sort of, um, be uh, more have a greater sense of who the God of their understanding is, or sort of have have a sense of permission to just be in process about yeah. all yeah. of this, and just uh, can we can we give each other space to do this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pod, podcasts in general have uh, have been a safe place for me, you know, to to realize that I'm not the only one. Because when you're in that evangelical bubble, you feel like everybody outside of here is just living to satisfy their sinful desires. And they're, you know, they're, that's why they're on the slippery slope because they have some kind of sin in their life they're trying to justify or, you know, so 
And then, so then stepping outside of it and being like, wow, that's not what I'm experiencing at all. Is there anybody else out here? Uh, and sure enough, there, there are a lot. <laughs> so podcasts like yours are extremely helpful in finding a, a well, so, community. So as, as you've gone through or are going through the deconstruction and thinking about things, are there, what are the like podcasts, podcasts or resources or things that have been most helpful for you? This is what, where you'll have to censor censor what Kaylee says with some bleeps for for those of our, our us and our in your in your audience that are evangelical uh, the the names of the podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, for me, I mean, Dan Cokes, you have permission has been uh, just mind blowing. He has so many different perspectives. Uh, represented on that show. I'm, I started from the very beginning. And I think I've listened to every single podcast. Uh, it's just been absolutely yeah, mind-blowing. I'm, I'm aware of that podcast. I kind of like to, uh, what I've learned is that Christian universalism isn't, isn't deconstruction. They're sort of two yeah. different things. Right. Because sometimes, yeah. sometimes people that go through deconstruction end up at a universal restoration position, but right. there's lots of different potential uh, ways that people would go through it and experience it. And so I think his podcast is really good uh, because it just addresses so many different aspects of it. Yeah, yeah. Right. There's another one that Keith Giles or Giles who, who you've had on your show, he does. Um, I think it's called like apostates anonymous. That's a good one. You've got homebrewed Christianity by, you know, Dr. Trip Fuller. You even have, you know, the deconstructionists podcasts, you know, um, that, maybe was a part of all this current modern wave, you know, at the, on the ground up. Um, and then Bible for normal people has been a favorite of mine as well. Um, yeah. I've listened Keaton's to and, quite a bit of that. Yeah. And yeah. yours as well. And yours too, series. for sure. Yeah. The I, other, the other one that I've listened to specifically for moms is the deconstructing mamas podcast. Um, the deconstructing mamas podcast. Yeah. It's actually <laughs> done by Peden's daughter and another gal. You haven't been invited as a guest on that yet, David? I have not <laughs> been. Although, although Pete is scheduled to be on the Grace Saves All podcast and uh, next okay. year. And I've read his latest book, Curveball. Which is uh, Pete Enns, who's who does oh, the yeah. Bible for normal yeah. people. Yeah, he's going to come on the. He's scheduled to come on the podcast, and his book Curveball really is kind of a, his own. Uh, features a lot of his own story of, of yeah. how he, you know, how he worked through all of this. I'll definitely be listening to that. Yeah, that's great. He's he's been really good for both of us, and him and Jared Bias. Um, yeah, and I think that's again. I, you know, just being okay with uncertainty and, and finding people like you, like you said, that are okay with embracing that. Right. And, and I think it all comes down to trust. Do we trust God with the process? Do we trust God with the outcomes of whatever journey, you know, that we're on, whoever it may be on, on whatever journey, you know, mm -hmm. that's the beautiful thing about ultimate reconciliation is that it all comes down. It, it all kind of works out in the end, you know, um, so, yeah, I was also going to share um, that, you know, this season, I've just, I've just been reminded how, how different I expected deconstruction to be compared to what it's been like for me, because seeing, watching people do it and being inside the evangelical circle and watching people deconstruct, you know, they immediately 
lose your respect and your and you make a lot of assumptions about them. At least I did. I never even asked them directly, what's this experience like for you? I just assumed for them what it was like. And I assumed it must be miserable because you can't have joy outside of this faith. It must it's be a narrow version of it. Right. You must just be absolutely miserable. And I remember Nick asking one of our friends like two years ago who was heavily deconstructing and like, well, how are you doing? Like, how's life? He's like, dude, I've never been happier. And and that just and I just didn't, I literally did not believe it. I said he's lying. But yeah. now because because in my belief system, it's not possible. You couldn't possibly be happier. Uh so, but now that I'm kind of on the other side of things, I'm thinking he was right. Like I have found so much freedom in losing that certainty and losing the shame and dropping all of what I, all of the spiritual practices that I was trying so hard to produce a strong faith, you know, all, just all those expectations I have completely shedded. And that's been so freeing. I can't even tell you. And I feel like it's freed me up to just enjoy my kids and focus on our marriage and pursue what I've always wanted to pursue, which is nursing. Uh, mm-hmm. And just the things that I'm actually passionate about, which I always felt were in conflict internally for me, because what's more important than saving people from hell? So this, yeah, this whole journey has been really joyful for me. I know Nick has a different experience and we've, we've wrestled with our own things, but overall it's been, um, it's been joyful and it's been fun. And I was going to say, there's, I don't even, th- I'm on Instagram. Nick's not really on social media, but there's a, there's a guy and some of your listeners may find him a little uh, out there, but it's the naked pastor and he, his posts are so funny and relatable and there was there was one he posted recently of a picture of this group of Christian evangelicals talking about a girl who's on the slippery slope. And then on the other side of the page is the girl on the slippery slope in her swimsuit, slipping down into a pool of people who are cheering like, yay! <laughs> <laughs> just like, this can actually be fun. Um, and not so, you know, we just make all these assumptions, but it's totally different on the other side of things for sure. Well, this uh, one of the themes here is uncertainty, and yeah, uh, the the problem that I sort of had, I, I had a kind of um, Arminian theology for, if you want to call it that, for a long time. But it was a very, um, I basically had the idea that God is good and loving, and God will save ev- absolutely everybody that's savable. So, like for your the Muslim folks that you met, I had some mm-hmm. way of thinking that okay. And throughout eternity, throughout all of time, you know, God will ultimately present God's goodness to everybody in in an overwhelming kind of way. And that the only way that anybody could possibly be lost was if they just sort of resolutely, after having, you know, you know, multiple uh, opportunities, they just finally said, you know, I just don't want anything to do with life or love or goodness. And so they just sort of, I don't know evaporated or ceased, ceased to, ceased to exist. And, uh, and then I just made a little small change to my theology, which was, Oh, you know what? I think God would be able to even win over those people in Mm -hmm. the end. But what I found out was like, no matter which way I worked my theology, I had problem scripture verses that I didn't know exactly what to, 
do it. And right. so there was always some level. I couldn't make the uncertainty go away scripturally. Mm-hmm. No right. matter where I stood, there was, uh, there was some kind of scriptural problem that I had. So finally, I just had to allow myself to say, okay, well, I'm not, I cannot be 100% certain uh, about my views with regard to whether or not they can satisfy every single verse of scripture. But I can finally, but I can finally make a decision for myself about the God of my understanding. And I can say, I do think it has some scriptural foundations and I'd be happy to share it for you. But if you think that I can share, share scripture for you in such a way that it will defeat every single possible objection that you could come up with. Well, I can't do right. that. I don't think actually, actually anybody can do that for any theological no. instruction no. because the Bible just has too many, too, too many passages too, that can be taken too many different ways yeah. in the original languages. So, um, so finally, right. I just, you know, I just gave myself the permission to have the God of my own understanding. And if you want to know how I think I can show you some passages of scripture that I think can reasonably show how I can relate that to scripture. And and I can also show you how I think that I legitimately fit within the Christian tradition. I can I can do that. That doesn't mean I can win every theological battle or erase all uncertainty. <laughs> You know, and that we can, you know, that we can just get something that's absolutely clear. So uh, I've I've had to just sort of live that, well, there's going to be this certain level of uncertainty that I'm going to carry with me um, throughout life. But then on the other hand, I can still have the God of my own understanding and Mm -hmm. be okay with that. Yeah, that's a really good picture that you just painted, I think. Um. Uh, you're completely right. That was mind blowing to me to learn that even within the evangelical uh, sect, that it's all based on interpretation, and there are scriptures that contradict those theologies. And and the answer was always, you know, if it gets to the point of cognitive dissonance where you're like, okay, this doesn't quite make sense, and you challenge that, the answer is, well, God's ways are higher than our ways. So basically, stop thinking about it and just believe. And believe what's plainly in the text, which again is an interpretive thing. And I see now how dangerous it is to assume that kind of certainty, like that level of, no, we really do. We know for certain um, and and just how limited you are in that kind of mindset and how much more uh, realistic it is to say what you're saying, which is, well, no, you can make an argument and, you know, in all these different directions without certainty. And uh, it's a matter of. I mean, in some ways, a matter of choosing, like this makes sense to me. And I I think that I'm relying a lot more heavily on my experience to inform my beliefs these days than I am scripture, because I'm finding I can't rely on scripture as much as I used to be able to with certainty, but I do know what I've experienced. And that is a God that does love and that has some hand in creation. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think that's really really wise. And, uh, I have, I've dealt with just the shame of coming away from a faith that held so much certainty. Uh, and mm-hmm. have, you, have you ever, have you ever seen uh, people that, I don't know if people do this much anymore, but there was a time when people used to use metal detectors and out on the beach and you could see them out there, you know, uh-huh. well, I, I got to the point where I was really feeling drawn to 
okay, God is absolute love. God is light in whom there's no darkness at all. And, and finally, um, the light and the love of God will permeate all of creation and we'll all experience this together. And so the more I started thinking those things, the more sort of internal resonance I started having. And I just started feeling really good about that. And then I sort of went over the Bible with a metal detector and I started picking up like every passage of scripture that I could see some kind of resonance mm-hmm. of that. And, and when, when I finished with that, I had a whole pile of scriptures that, and it was surprising to me that there were some that I hadn't seen before, or I had look, hadn't looked at in that way before. But when I just allowed myself to look at the Bible through that lens, and then I realized that I wasn't alone, that other Christians had done this before me way back mm-hmm. to the early centuries of the church. Um, so there's been a lot of thinking, a lot of deconstruction and reconstruction, you know, going on throughout the whole of the, you know, maybe you could even look at Christian history as a, uh, yeah. you know, construction, deconstruction, construction, deconstruction process mm-hmm. that we're always kind of, that we're always kind of going through. So, um, yeah. mm. uh, so we'll, we'll, we will continue in the journey together. And, um, you know, I, 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 I had fun talking with Nick about his story. And, and you, then, uh, that when, when you were willing to come on and talk about more of a story that's more open, more still in process, I thought that would be a good way to kind of talk about, you know, deconstruction and that's a process that a lot of people are in and are going through right now. So I really appreciate you kind of being willing to, um, I don't know, do the more vulnerable, open, you know, part of it where you're not willing to, you know, really come down one place or another right now. And um, Mm -hmm. so I just wish both of you well in your continuing journeys and I'll be uh, looking forward to, uh, following your lives. Thanks, David. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. This has been a, an amazing opportunity and just so appreciate again what, what you're doing. And um, yeah, so blessings. Yeah. And, and now you have a sort of a resource for your for your uh, personal lives. When you're getting to meet new people, you can just meet them. That's and say, right. hey, here's, a little, here's a little bit of our story. If you really want to know about us, uh, check out this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, hold on tight. (laughs) For sure. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll talk later. Thanks, David. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David, or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.